Hey everyone, my name is Sam. Um, I'm glad you're here tonight, and I'm glad if you came specifically to uh, and you braced the uh, the cold weather and um, you came here tonight. Um, so yeah, I just want to extend a real uh, warm welcome if you're new tonight, and um, yeah, if you haven't been here before, so welcome. And I thought um, just before I began, uh, maybe we could give another round of applause to our, our drama group. I, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So. Yeah. So as I said, my name's Sam Lamy, and um, yeah, I've been coming here for uh, probably about three to four years now, and um, tonight I'm going to be preaching from the Word of the Lord, and uh, what I'm going to be preaching on is, um, as you can see, the low whisper, um, and that's in 1 Kings uh, 19, verses 9 to 18. And um, yeah, God's got some really good things that He wants to say to us tonight, and um, yeah, I was just preparing for um, tonight, and I thought one of the really beautiful things about the Bible is the depth of it. And um, it does most of its teaching, not through essays and dissertations, but actually through the stories of people's lives. And um, yeah, so, you know, Abraham, Moses, David, um, even the life of Jesus, you know, the Gospels are all about the life of Jesus and his teaching. And um, I suppose you could say that the Bible is a bit like a pool um, with a shallow end and a deep end. And um, you can just wait around in the shallow end if you want, um, but the deep end is where you get to do like pin drops and bombs and all that kind of good stuff. So um, yeah, the Bible is deep and everywhere, all throughout, there are like images and symbols and yeah, uh, themes that are just, you know, undercurrent running through it and... Um, they always point back um, to our Heavenly Father and to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, and over the last month or so, we've been looking specifically at the life of Elijah, uh, found in 1 Kings. And we've met, uh, learnt many great things about our Father and about ourselves while looking at his life. Um, and tonight what we are learning about specifically is the whisper of God. Um, yeah, and many of us hear this whisper, and we hear it over and over and over again, but few of us actually really grasp it and hold on to it. Um, yeah, so without further ado, let's jump in to the deepness of this book. And uh, I'm reading from 1 Kings 19, 9 to 8. Uh, I'm reading from ESV. So following on from the previous verses, um, it says that Elijah went to Horeb, the mount of God. Um, And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, Go, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Amen. And so to understand this story, um, we first have to kind of understand the stories that came before. Um, and those are the uh, sermons. Uh, so Mark, I think, preached last week. Um, and the week before that, Craig preached. Um, yeah, so let's uh, have a little look at the context. So Ahab was a king um, over Israel at this time. Um, and he married this woman named Jezebel. Um, and at this time, Israel was holding out for the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. Um, and God had promised to David, King David, that a righteous king was coming. Um, and that, um, yeah, coming from his line, uh, whose kingdom would last forever. And uh, who the Lord would be like a father to. And you can find this in 2 Samuel 7. And then 1 and 2 Kings tell the stories of the kings that followed from David. And how none of them... Uh, met the standard that was required of the Christ. They didn't meet that standard of righteousness. Um, and Ahab is one such king. Um, and he and his wife Jezebel worship Baal and not the Lord. And so out of nowhere, out of nowhere, God sends the prophet Elijah um, to tell Ahab um, that the Lord alone has the power over the rains because Baal was seen as like the god of storms and thunder. Um, and he sends Elijah to tell Ahab that there's going to be a drought in Israel until the Lord decides to end it. And you can read all this in, in 1 Kings 18. So then what happens is Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal and Ahab to a showdown on Mount Carmel. And what they do is they build two altars um, and they put sacrifices on them. Um, and then, you know, the prophets of Baal, they pray and pray and pray and pray. And they pray for most of the day and they start cutting themselves um, uh, to try and get Baal to notice and to, and to do something. Um, but nothing happens. Um, and then Elijah, he digs a trench around his altar. Um, and he pours jug after jug after jug of water onto the altar. And then he says a 30-second prayer. Um, and then... Boom, fire from heaven falls down 
and consumes these altars. It consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood, consumes the stone altar itself and the soil and all the water that is in the trench surrounding the altar. And the people of Israel who are there, they all fall down and they start worshipping God, saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So God deals this like this powerful, uh, brutal blow to the, to the uh, prophets of Baal. Um, and they're utterly defeated. Um, and the people of Israel slaughter um, the prophets of Baal. And not only that, but after a three and a half year drought, the rains start to come. And so Ahab, the king, he flees back to Jezreel, his capital. And then it says that the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. Um, and he tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. And that's in 1 Kings 18, verse 46. So this is what we have. Is that working? Can you hit the next one for me? Did I have to turn it on? So this is what we have. A, the prophets of Baal are absolutely defeated. B, the rains are coming. And three, Ahab is on the run. And what we have is a picture of a man who is like almost high on what he's just seen. Like he's seen the literal fire of God fall down from heaven. And so he's like, he's off his chops. He's seen the raw power. You know, he's seen the fire. He's seen the victory of his almighty God. Um, And Elijah is no fool because he knows that fire... In the Old Testament, fire means one thing, judgment. And so he runs as fast as he can. He runs faster than horse and chariot, which is pretty fast. <laughs> um, and he runs back to Jezreel to see the judgment of God come down on Ahab and Jezebel, to see either A, Ahab and Jezebel overthrown spiritually so that they turn back to God, or B, to see Ahab and Jezebel overthrown physically from the throne. But instead, what happens? Jezebel seems not worried at all. And she actually uh, threatens to kill Elijah. Um, And this utterly shipwrecks him. Utterly shipwrecks him. So much so that in four verses, from 1 Kings 18.46 to 1 Kings 19.3, he goes from having the, the hand of the Lord on him to cracking with despair. And so he lets his servant go. And he sits under a tree and he asks God that he might die. So not only does he want to quit being a prophet, he wants to quit being alive. Um, But God is faithful. And he doesn't lecture Elijah, um, but he sends an angel to feed him and give him rest. Um, And I just want to make a quick note. um, Isn't the integrity of the Bible marvelous? Like, God knows exactly what Elijah needed was not a lecture, but a bit of food and a bit of rest. Um, And we have a tendency as Christians, for those of us who are Christians, we have a tendency to make everything spiritual um, and and try to solve people's problems by saying, like, are you praying enough? Or do you have enough faith? Or are you walking and claiming the victories? Um, Or are you rebuking the devil, etc.? But the fact is is that we do have a, a physical side. Um, And sometimes you just need a good meal and a bit of rest. And so with a belly of food and a bit of sleep, um, Elijah sets out for Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, 
And that's where our verses begin. All right? Wicked. So hundreds of years before Elijah came to Mount Horeb, another man came this same way. And we know Mount Horeb better as Mount Sinai. See, the man that came before, that was Moses. Um, And it was on Mount Horeb that the Lord revealed himself to Moses as a burning bush. He revealed himself to Moses as fire. And the Lord says to Moses that Mount Horeb is holy ground. And you can read all this if you want in Exodus 3. And so knowing all this, Elijah sets out for Mount Horeb. And what we can assume is that um, he sets out for Mount Horeb to, to see God because he knows, he knows that that's where Moses saw the burning bush. So he sets out to see God. Bing. And when Elijah arrives at Mount Horeb, the word of the Lord comes to him uh, and it asks him, what are you doing here? And I want to make another quick note here that whenever God asks a question, it's not so that he can get information. See, he already knows all things. And he knows why Elijah came to Mount Horeb. And he knows why you're all, we are all here tonight. Yeah? So when God asks a question, he asks, uh, asks us a question so that we can learn something about ourselves. So that's a quick note. And from Elijah's response, we can see specifically why Elijah came to see our father. He came to confront him. Uh, he came to face down our Lord. Um, and again, is that your reason for being here tonight, to face down God, to, to confront him, to kind of say, give me, what I, give me what I want, Lord? And so Elijah launches into this speech. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I am the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, the reason for Elijah's despair is that he thought his plan and God's plan were one and the same. After literally seeing the fire of God, he got all worked up, and he thought that the fire and judgment of God were coming down on Ahab, Jezebel, and the people of Israel. And we can see that because he says, you know, he says, basically, I'm doing all I can. What's wrong with you, God? The people are doing X, Y, Z. I'm the only one left. Why aren't you doing anything? So we can see that Elijah expected the judgment of God to fall down. And we ourselves, we put expectations on God. And we get let down when those aren't fulfilled. Um, And as any good little brother does, he takes any opportunity to roast his older brother. So I'm the little brother. And so I'm going to tell you a story of misplaced expectations. Um, So most of you will know my brother Mike, but if you don't, that's all right. The story still applies. So when Mike was a toddler, he absolutely loved cars. Um, So much so that his first word was car. Um, And he'd he'd just jabber on about cars all the time. And he drew cars. uh, And he got excited when he saw cars. Uh, And in fact, when my parents would take him um, on, you know, long road trips... Uh, They would get him to shut up and stop whinging by saying, where's the car, where's the car? Uh, And he'd sit there just waiting for the cars to come by the the window. Um, And they were smart about this. See, they did this on country roads where uh, 
Cars were very few and far between. <laughs> um, but because of his love for cars, they expected him to turn out to be a petrol head, basically. And as most of you know, he's, not, he, he's the total opposite of a petrol head. In fact, here's a picture. <laughs> and in fact, he, he only got his L's when he was 22. Um, and he's still, he's still on his P's to this day at, at the age of 24. <laughs> and for most of his early 20s, I've been carting him around everywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the moral of the story is, like, just as we put expectations on people, or we have expectations of people, Elijah also put expectations on God. And we put expectations on God. Um, and Elijah actually became something of a symbol in Judaism, a symbol of expectation. See, there's this Jewish festival um, during, during Passover. Um, they have this feast, and they have this custom at the end of the feast called the Cup of Elijah. And what they do is they pour a cup of wine for Elijah, and they put it on the table and they open the front door of their homes and they like, invoke the presence of Elijah to come. They say, like, oh, Elijah, come, Elijah, come. Um, because they know that when Elijah comes, so does the Christ. Because there's prophecies of, of Elijah, of a messenger coming before the Christ. Um, and then what they do after that is that they, they recite several verses. And they ask God to pour out his wrath upon their, uh, upon their persecutors and oppressors. So Elijah is like this symbol of expectation, symbol of expectation of the coming judgment and of the coming Christ. But this is where our Bible gets deep. Um, yeah, it's, oh, it's awesome. So let's just, yeah, I'll just keep going. So Jesus says that John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come. Um, and he says that in Matthew 11, verse 14. And just like Elijah... John the, John the Baptist expected um, the judgment of our Father to come with Jesus. Um, and this is why he says in Matthew 3, he says this. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much so that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or carry his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, in, uh, sorry, into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. So John the, John the Baptist expected the Christ to come and basically separate the good people from the bad people, burn the bad and keep the good. And this is why in Matthew 11, when Jesus Christ does come, John the Baptist sends some disciples to Jesus um, to ask him, are you the Christ we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? So what John is essentially saying to Jesus is, you don't act like the Christ. You don't look like the Christ. Where's the power? Where's the fire? And Jesus' response is remarkable because he says, go and tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive sight and the lame walk Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. 
And Jesus here is quoting from Isaiah 35, one of the Old Testament prophecies. And if we go back and look, we can see what else it says. It says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So Jesus' reply to John is, John, John, you don't understand. There is a greater work at hand here. The judgment of God and the just decision of God is to heal and to save and to give good news. And if we look back at our verses, we can see the same revelation given to Elijah. So after confronting God, God says to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain before me. And then it says, Behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So first, there's this mighty storm. Second, the powerful earthquake. And then a blazing fire. But remarkably, it says of all these things that the Lord is not in them. Our Father is not in them. And now we have to be careful because although it says our Father is not in the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, it's not saying that God never appears as these things. Even though our Father is not in them, these things come from Him. Because it's no coincidence that they all happen one right after the other. And in fact, this passage actually reminds us of all the times when God has appeared as a wind, an earthquake, a fire. Because in Genesis 15, to, to Abraham, he was a, a blazing fire pot and a torch. To Moses, what was he? We know he was the burning bush in Exodus 3. To Job, a whirlwind. To the apostles at Pentecost, he was the rushing wind. And to Paul and Silas in prison, he was an earthquake. So these verses are describing all the, all the special and really great ways that God shows himself. But finally, and this is the most remarkable thing, is that he shows up in another way. As a still, small voice. As a low whisper. So, what does this all mean? Well, Elijah's despair is his own fault. Um, and he ends up actually condemning himself out of his own mouth. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. Um, which, in other words, is I had a plan, but how come you didn't come through, God? Oh, never mind. See, he put, he put God into a box, yeah? 
Um, and Elijah thought he knew everything there was to know about God. And he thought that his plan must have also been God's plan. But God shows up and shows Elijah that you can't put him in a box. And everything you think you know about our Father in heaven, he is more. And just about every time you think he has to show up as a fire, guess what you get? You get a whisper. And every time you think he has to show up as a whisper, you get a, you get a fire. See, our Father does not always do what you want him to do. He does what he will do. He works for his good, gentle and kind will. And all things in the end are subservient to him. And we find out when God finally does start to uh, talk um, in these verses that he does have a plan. Um, And he actually says to Elijah, he says, Go back the way you came and anoint Hazael, a king uh, king over Syria. And what's crazy about this is that there's no evidence to suggest that Hazael is a believer in God. In fact, the opposite is true. Because in 1993, archaeologists unearthed the Tel Dan steel. And it's an inscribed rock. And archaeologists believe that it was erected by Hazael. And the stone tells about his belief in the god Hadad, um, who is in fact most identified with Baal because Baal was just kind of like a generic term that meant idol. And moreover, the stone actually boasts of his victories over the king of Israel, who was none other than the son of Ahab. And so think about this, that the Lord uses whomever he chooses. Here he does what must be totally unthinkable to Elijah. He uses Hazael, like a Baal worshipper, to fulfill his will. All things and all people are subservient to his will. And God is saying to Elijah, what makes you think I don't have a plan just because it isn't yours? So ask yourself that question. He's saying to us tonight, what makes you think I don't have a plan just because it isn't yours? And Romans 8.28 says that in all things he works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But finally, more than that, the whisper shows us something of God himself. See, we must not put God in a box, but there are some things we can know about our Father in heaven. He is in the low whisper. So God has a greater work than judgment. We said before that, um, you know, hundreds of years before Elijah, Moses came to Mount Horeb and God appeared to him in the burning bush. But the difference between Elijah and Moses is that Elijah saw the fire and thought he knew all there was to know about our father. But Moses, even after seeing the burning bush, seeing the fire, assumes that there is still more of God to see. Because in Exodus 33... Moses comes up to Mount Horeb a second time and he says to God, show me your glory. Um, So he says, you know, God, I've seen the burning bush, but I want to see what you really look like. I want to know who you really are. And God's response to Moses is this. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. 
So when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And in our verses, in 1 Kings 19, the ESV translates that Hebrew word as cave. But it can also mean hollow or cleft. It's more generic than just cave. So just like Moses, Elijah goes into a cleft of the rock. And in fact, many scholars believe that Elijah went to the very same spot where Moses had been. And in verse 11, God says, Go out of the cave and stand on the mountain before me. But it's not actually until verse 13, after the wind, the earthquake and the fire, that Elijah goes and stands out the entrance of the cave. So why wasn't Elijah torn to pieces by the wind, the fire, the earthquake? Well, that's because of the rock. And in fact, not only that, but it says that uh, in verse 11 of, of uh, 1 Kings 19, that the rock was torn in pieces before the Lord. So the rock was torn to pieces so that Elijah could hear the whisper of God. And Jesus was torn to pieces so that you could hear the whisper of grace. We were more sinful than we ever dare to believe. Romans 6 says that we were slaves to sin and that we were inventors of evil. That's Romans 1. And every day we committed new sins that condemned us and to this day we find ourselves in need of God's grace. We broke the law of God again and again and again. And as breaking the law requires punishment, so too does sin require death. And we try to do we try to alleviate our guilt by doing good things. People spend more time being religious than actually being good. But see the thing is is that you cannot please God by being good. If you try to please God, with good works, you are saying, He is not so holy that He can be pleased by me. But God sent Jesus, who was strung up on a cross, and it was our weaknesses He carried. It was our sorrows that weighed Him down. And the people thought His troubles were a punishment from God. I'm quoting scripture here, I'm quoting Isaiah 53. And the people thought His troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for His own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe. But now you are more loved and forgiven than you ever dared hope. And I want you to hear the whisper of God tonight. His whisper of grace that says, according to Exodus 34, it says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And after this story in 1 Kings, 
This is where we're starting to get more of those layers of the Bible, yeah? Elijah pretty much disappears from the Bible, apart from being in prophecies. But this is overwhelmingly amazing, that hundreds of years later, he reappears at the transfiguration of Jesus. So if you don't know what the transfiguration of Jesus is, um, transfiguration kind of means like it means like changing shape or changing form. And so the transfiguration uh, was when Jesus took a few of the disciples to the top of a mountain and he showed them that he is the glory of God. His face started shining like the sun and his clothes started shining like lightning, it says. And we can read about it in Luke 9, starting from verse 28. And check this out. It says that Jesus took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two Moses, uh, two, two Moses, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was to bring uh, to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So they came and they spoke with Jesus about his death. And what do Moses and Elijah have in common? Well, they both went to Mount Horeb to see God. They both were hidden in the cleft of the rock. Um, At the transfiguration, they both speak to Jesus about his death. Um, They both come to see that Jesus is the glory of God. And that's what Hebrews says. Hebrews 1, 1 1-4. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us by the prophets, Moses and Elijah. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by Jesus whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So in our day and age, as Christians, we often like, like we seek experiences of God. And like Elijah, we seek the earthquake, we seek the wind, we seek the fire, but we fail to hear the whisper of grace. We seek the glory of Lord, uh, glory of God, glory of the Lord. But we have to change our attitude because Jesus is not the means to seeing the glory of God. He is the glory of God. And you cannot separate him from it. Jesus is not a means to an end, but he is the end. And Elijah heard the whisper of God. He comes to know that God is doing a greater work through Jesus' death. God is healing. He is saving. He is making all things new. He is redeeming. Mercy and grace abounding. And I want you to hear this very whisper of God tonight. But the thing is, is that only the, only the forgiven can hear it. So just like, just like God asks Elijah, he's also asking us the same question of what are you doing here? Hmm. So if the band wants to come up, uh, I'll just say, yeah, I'll just pray and... Um,
hand over. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Father, for this day. Uh, I thank you for the rain, Lord, um, and I thank you for um, yeah, the wind, Father, and um, just your beauty um, expressed in nature, Father God. I thank you for all those things. Um, and Father, I just thank you so much for your whisper of grace, Lord, um, that you, even now you're whispering grace to us, Father, whispering mercy to us, Lord Jesus. So I would just pray, Father God, that we would hear it, Father, um, that we would just really grasp onto it um, and hold onto it um, and just walk in it and, and, and let it change us, Lord Jesus. So yeah, Father, I just pray these things in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.